0: Hello, and welcome to Hillcrest To Go. I'm your host, John Parker. Today, Dr. Tom Goodman shares a message titled, Ministry Matters. Now, an important message from Dr. Tom Goodman. Well, this morning, I want to talk about some ministry matters because ministry matters. We began... A few weeks ago, I studied through Paul's letter to the Colossians. And we're calling it next level living because everything we find in the letter to the Colossians will take you to the next level in your understanding of Jesus and following Jesus. And even though everything we find in Colossians is for everybody, there are some things for particular persons. And what we're going to look at today is especially for those who lead in this church those who are on staff or those who are volunteers, if you have some position of influence in this church, the words we're going to look at today are especially for you. Because uh, starting in verse 24 of Colossians chapter 1, Paul starts talking about his ministry. And what we learn about Paul's perspective on his ministry can help us in whatever ministry we're involved in. So we're going to do something a little bit different today. If you are in leadership in this church, I want you to stand for the reading. So if you're on staff, or if you're a deacon, or if you're a life group leader, or if you work in the children's ministry, or help John Cameron in the youth ministry, or if you're on the music team, if you're in a position of influence, part-time, volunteer, full-time, whatever, I want you to stand. These words are especially for you. Let's look at them. Colossians chapter 1, starting in verse 24. In fact, those of you who are standing, you've got it up on the screen. Let's read it out loud together, all right? To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. He is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. Thank you. You may be seated. And we ask God to bless the reading of His Word. I have a letter in my files that... uh, is pretending to come from an organization called the Jordan Management Company. It is uh, a fictional consulting firm, and uh, this fictional consulting firm uh, wrote a letter making some advice to Jesus about the people he was picking for his apostles. To Jesus, son of Joseph, woodcrafters, carpenter shop, Nazareth, from Jordan Management Consultants, Jerusalem. Dear sir, Thank you for submitting the resumes of the 12 men you have picked for managerial positions in your new organization. All of them have now taken our battery of tests and we have not only run the results through our computer but also arranged personal interviews for each of them with our psychologists and vocational aptitude consultants. It is the staff opinion that most of your nominees are lacking in the background, education, and vocational aptitude for the type of enterprise you are undertaking. They do not have the team concept we would recommend that you continue your search for persons of experience and management ability and proven capability. Simon Peter is emotionally unstable and given to fits of temper. Andrew has absolutely no qualities of leadership. The two brothers, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, place personal interest above company loyalty. Thomas demonstrates a questioning attitude that would tend to undermine morale. We feel it is our duty to tell you that Matthew has been blacklisted by the Greater Jerusalem Better Business Bureau. (laughs) Thaddeus and James, the son of Alphaeus, definitely have radical leanings, and they both registered a high score on the manic depressive scale. One of the candidates, however, shows great potential. He is a man of ability and resourcefulness, meets people well, has a keen business mind, and has contacts in high places. He is highly motivated, ambitious, and responsible. For your comptroller and right-hand man, we recommend Judas Iscariot. <laughs> we wish you every success in your new venture. Sincerely, Jordan Management Consultants. <laughs> so, well, the truth is that most of us are no more qualified than the apostles for the work that we do as staff members, full-time, part-time volunteers. Whatever leadership we have in this church, whatever position of influence we have in this church, we're no better qualified than the apostles are, right? And that's why we need to pay attention to what the Apostle Paul says here. He says, I've become a servant of the gospel. And then he spends time writing the Colossians about his work. And many of us have that same calling on our lives. We we have become servants of the gospel. And we need to understand exactly what that means and make some commitments or some recommitments. So I, w- I want you to take a pen or a pencil. I want you to have your sermon notes ready. They're in the in the bulletin that we handed out. And let's recommit to four things as ministry leaders. Your recommitment to these four things will make all the difference in how you handle your responsibilities here. Number one, first commitment. I will accept the task. I will accept the task. Notice verse. 25, Paul speaks of his ministry as the commission, the commission that God gave me. That was his task. I love what the anonymous missionary wrote in a newsletter one time. He said, our greatest fear should not be of failure. Our greatest fear should be of succeeding in something that doesn't really matter. Some of us, we've been involved in ministry. We've gotten involved as volunteers or surrendered to full-time ministry. Because we knew we could succeed at something that in the end wouldn't really matter. But this really matters. And so we involve ourselves in it. Paul said it was for him a commission given to him by God. Now commission is a military term. It's what a higher ranking official gives to those under his authority, under his rank. And they accept that commission and the authority that comes with that commission. And then Paul describes the commission he's been given in three ways. Let's get a little more specific with Paul because each verse, verse 25, verse 26, verse 27, he gets more and more specific about what this commission is. So look at verse 25. He presents his work as presenting the word of God in its fullness. So that's what we do as ministry leaders and as influencers in this church. We present not our personal opinions, but the word of God, and we don't, we don't hesitate to communicate it in its fullness, even those things that are sometimes and in some cultures unpopular. And then he narrows it down a bit more to say that what he presents is something that was once a mystery, but has now been revealed. That's what we find in verse 26. Now, we're gonna get a little bit more as we keep going into the letter to the Colossians. We're gonna get a little bit more into this understanding of the gospel as a mystery. But let me just say this, just so you can understand why he uses this word here. Back in the first century world, in Colossae and other cities, there were false teachers that came in, and they claimed to have secret knowledge that they could pass on to you if you joined their secret club. And if you went through all the initiation rites and joined their secret club, then you could have the incantations that would make you... Uh, powerful with the deity. You would have the proper names for God to use to get him to do what you wanted him to do. And so these were mystery religions or mystery cults. We're going to get into this a little bit more as we get into the letter to the Colossians. But it's just interesting here that Paul basically uses a judo technique here. He, He says, well, if you want mystery, I've got a mystery for you. But you don't have to join a secret club. I declare it openly. It's not something that you can figure out on your own, though. That's why it's a mystery. But it's been revealed to us by God. That's my job, he said, is to present the entire Word of God to you, the mystery that has now been revealed to you. But like I said, he moves more and more specific here as he goes through these verses. So in verse 25, then in verse 26, and now in verse 27, he speaks specifically of that revealed Word that we couldn't figure out on our own, but God revealed it to us. He says, it is a word about Christ in you, the hope of glory. Isn't that a beautiful phrase? Christ in you, the hope of glory. Now, another beautiful thing about the letter to the Colossians is that as we get more and more into it, we're going to get a greater and greater understanding of what it means to be in Christ and have Christ in you. That's really the way the Apostle Paul primarily talked about Christianity, is this mystical substance of union between Christ and your soul forever and ever, amen. And this is such an important concept in the letter to the Colossians that in just a few weeks, we're just going to have probably a three or four week study on just what it means to be a person in Christ. But, But just for right now, just understand that what we do in this church as leaders is we communicate a Christ who wants to be united to us. The encouragement that he has, the power that he has, the wisdom that he has can be shared with us because he's not remote and distant, but but he's united to us in this powerful, mystical way. We are in Christ and Christ is in us. Now, this is what we proclaim, and that's what he says in the very next line, verse 28. So in verse 25, he says that he presents the word in its fullness... In verse 26, he says, specifically, it is a mystery that you can't figure out on your own, but God reveals it to you through his word, openly, not secretly. It is specifically about Christ being united to you. And then in verse 28, Paul sums it all up by saying, we proclaim him. Now think about it. That's what we do as leaders in this church. Whatever role you play, it's not just in the preaching It's not just in the music ministry. It's in everything that you do. The, 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 The commission that we've been given is to communicate a Jesus who wants to unite himself with us. So if you're organizing a fellowship, a barbecue in your backyard with your life group, this is one of your aims is to let people know or further appreciate that Christ wants to be united to you. When you go and visit somebody in the hospital who is sick or recovering from surgery, you're there to encourage them and build them up. But how do you encourage them and build them up? You encourage them and build them up by reminding them that they are united to a Christ who wants to be united to them. When you're singing music, when you're, when you're uh, uh, teaching music theory to children in a children's music program at church, that's what you're doing. Ultimately, you're helping them understand that there is a Jesus who wants to unite to them. So the first commitment is, I will accept this task. I'll recommit myself to this task. Here's the second thing to write down. I will focus on the target. I will focus on the target. Notice what Paul says in verse 28. We proclaim him so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. That's the target. That's why we do what we do. You know, sometimes we can get so busy doing church, that we forget why we're doing it. And so we say, oh, it's Thursday. I haven't worked on my Sunday school lesson yet. I need to get to that. Or on Saturday, we say, you know, I haven't contacted any of the people that have been absent from my class for a while. I need to get to that. And we're just punching stuff off our to-do list. We're just you know, setting up the tables. We're cleaning up afterwards. We're doing all the things that makes church work. But in the midst of it, we forget why we do what we do. You know, I told you this past week in the devotional, uh, in my winning ways, devotional newsletter uh, about the Shah Jahan. The Shah Jahan in the 17th century, he was the one that built the Taj Mahal. And you may not know this, but the Taj Mahal started out as a great shrine for the Shah Jahan's deceased wife. In fact, it all began with him putting her casket in what would become the center of the Taj Mahal, and then he designed and had workers build everything around it. Well, he got so busy in this project over the months and over the years that uh, he was punching stuff off the to-do list and doing this, that, and the other. One day he walked into the work zone and there was dust everywhere and construction materials everywhere and saw this big box right in the middle of it. And he ordered that that box be moved so people wouldn't be stumbling over it. And it was only afterwards that he realized that he had ordered the removal of his own wife's casket. Think of that. The whole reason the Taj Mahal was being built was lost in the building of the Taj Mahal. Now that can happen to us. We can so be so we can be so busy in the responsibilities and activities that we've got to do and that we want to do as a church that we forget the reason why we're doing it. And what is the reason why we're doing it? According to this passage, Paul says we proclaim him. That's our task. And now here's our target: so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ, isn't that interesting? In verse 25, he uses the word fully. He says, my job is to present Christ fully. And now in verse 28, he says, my aim is to present you fully. In this instance, though, to present you fully mature, fully the way you are supposed to be. So as leaders, we present Christ to people now, so that in the future we can present people to Christ in eternity. Imagine standing before the throne of God And around you are the people that you had an influence over. Your children, your family members, your co-workers, people in your life group, people that you encouraged and had an influence over in this church. And they're all standing around you and you're presenting them to Christ. And you're saying, here they are, Lord. They're exactly the way you wanted them to be. That is our target. That is our goal and we need to make sure that we understand that it is a journey it doesn't take place all at once but when he says that we are to present everyone perfect in Christ he had in this idea this process, this journey it includes starting out maybe convincing a skeptic to doubt his doubts and to start thinking that maybe this Christianity thing shouldn't be dismissed so easily and then we start talking with a seeker who's spiritually seeking and we talk with them about it's time to start making a commitment to Jesus. Here's the line of faith, cross it. And then we talk with somebody who's made a commitment to Christ and we tell them to take the next step and the next step and again to the next level of their understanding of Jesus and how to follow him. It's a process, it has a, it, 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 it's a journey, but it has a destination. And that destination is to present everyone fully mature, complete in Christ. Now, what does a completed believer look like? At our church, we use an acronym, H-I-L-L. That stands for honor, invite, love, and live. And that is our picture of the fully mature disciple, somebody who is climbing the hill, who has climbed to the hill. They're honoring God, inviting others to him, loving each other, and living his word. And if we do that, we are complete in Christ. If we are leading people in that direction, then they eventually get a chance to be complete In Christ as well and we have a couple of more commitments or recommitments to make here on your outline but I can assure you that if you just did these first two if you recommitted to the Commission the task and if you focused on the target the goal you would make great strides in being a more influential person of influence even before 2023 is out but there are a couple of more commitments that we need to make here so here's the third one write this down I will develop The toughness. I will develop the toughness. In verse 24, Paul wrote, I rejoice in what I am suffering for you. Ministry can be heartbreaking, ministry can be frustrating. Those who serve as leaders sometimes suffer with depression or despair because of the challenges of the work. As a leader, You have had those times, I'm sure, where you have invested yourself in somebody, poured yourself into somebody's life, sacrificed yourself to get to know them, and then all of a sudden, one day, you find they're not involved in your life group or your music ministry or your church involvement anymore. And what's worse, they don't let you know that they've moved on, they've just moved on. Young adults these days refer to being ghosted. That is a reference to somebody they went on uh, a date one time, and then all of a sudden, that person's not re- returning their texts, is not replying to their emails, they just disappeared, they, they ghosted them. And that sometimes happens in ministry, where somebody just sort of ghosts you after all the work you tried to do in their lives. It's sometimes a surprise for those of us who are in full-time ministry. We thought that we were a person's minister, or somebody's pastor, but then We discover that they've been gone for a while, they've gotten involved somewhere else, and you find out, as far as they were concerned, they did not regard you as their pastor, they regarded you as the manager of the restaurant they attended for a while. And when they were no longer interested in the food of that restaurant, or they got more excited about another restaurant, they left, and when you don't go to a restaurant anymore, you don't call up the restaurant manager and let that guy know that you're not coming anymore, you just leave, right? And that's the way some of us handle church as well. And when some people do that, it's discouraging for people who are in ministry. Or maybe you've worked in kids' ministry, or you've worked in youth ministry, and you've poured yourself into the lessons you've prepared, and you've sacrificed yourself to, uh, and your time to go out and bring people on retreats and bring people to conferences, and then one day you discover that that person in their late teens or into their adulthood has chosen a different way of living than the way that you taught them to live. And you go, was it all worth it? Why did I do all of that? Or you start a new ministry, and nothing seems to come of it. It's difficult to get people involved in a new routine. They, they like the routine they're in. They like the activities they're involved in. And You start something new, and, and it, it's, it's difficult sometimes to get any sort of traction and get things going, and you get discouraged. Or you face opposition, not by the lost in the outside, uh, the outside world, but by you know, your own companions within the church. Back in the Vietnam War, sometimes second lieutenants were injured or killed, not by the enemy, but by their own troops who shot them in the back or fragged them because they didn't want to follow them into battle. People who are in full-time ministry go, yeah, I understand that. I've experienced that myself. That's why it's instructive that Paul talks about the hardships of ministry here. In verse 24 he wrote, now I rejoice in what I suffered for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. Now don't get confused when you read verse 24 and Paul says, I fill up in my flesh what is lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions. He was not saying that there was something lacking in Christ's afflictions. He was not saying that there was something insufficient and incomplete about what Jesus did for us on the cross and and Paul had to suffer additionally in order for us to be saved. That's certainly not what he was saying. But he was saying that we need to imagine hardship and suffering for the sake of the gospel as a bowl, as a container. And just as Christ suffered for us and died as a sufficient sacrifice for our sins. But he suffered, in the same way you and I are going to face hardship, we're gonna face difficulty in being leaders whom Christ calls into the same ministry. And so Paul's afflictions went into that bowl. And then Martin Luther's afflictions went into that bowl. And then Bonhoeffer's afflictions went into that bowl. And then your afflictions and your difficulties go into that bowl. And when that bowl is filled up, according to the book of Revelation, that's when Jesus comes again. So don't be caught by surprise when you face the same thing that other followers of Christ have faced around the world and down through the ages. We're just filling up that bowl. Just as Christ was afflicted, you and I are going to be afflicted as well. But you notice that Paul said, I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. Leadership in ministry then requires toughness. I saw a poster one time that said, we do this not because it is easy, but because we thought it was going to be easy. (laughs) And uh, I think sometimes there are people that get involved in ministry because they think it's gonna be easy. They find frustration or difficulty out in some secular job And they say, well, I want to go and get involved in a a church staff where everybody loves each other. I want to get involved in a church staff where everybody understands each other and everybody's patient with each other in the church. And I think when I hear that after over 40 years of ministry, oh, you naive person. (laughs) We need to understand that people are people wherever you find them. And whether you're facing difficulty by non-believers in the outside world or you're facing difficulties and challenges from believers, the people you're trying to lead and the people you're trying to teach and influence, we have to have the toughness to be able to endure that. We need to recommit to personal toughness today. Here's a fourth recommitment we leaders need to make. I will depend on the divine touch. In verse 29 we read, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. That word contend kind of continues the idea of struggle, right? Of toughness that we have to have. The Greek word that we translate contend is agonizomenos. Can you hear the word agonize in that? So Paul says, I wrestle, I agonize, I contend, but I earnestly contend with all the power that Christ so powerfully works. In me there's that idea again of being united to Christ being connected to him and so his energy is flowing into and through us enabling us to be the kind of people that we need to be And Christian leadership would be impossible if it weren't for this reality if we had never experienced the touch of divine power we would never be able to endure it and we would never be able to see fruit from it we may struggle in our work but we struggle with all his energy that works powerfully in us. You know, I've often compared Christian ministry to a sailboat, you've heard me say this before, that all of our work, all of our lesson plans, all of our activities, all of our vacation Bible schools, all of our youth retreats, all of our senior adult retreats, all of it is just the hoisting of a sail. And in the old days of sailboats, there weren't backup motors or anything like that. If the wind didn't blow, the sailboat didn't move. And that's true for you and me as well. We hoist the sail with all our labor, with all our efforts, with all our witnessing, with all our teaching. But then we beg God and we depend on God for the wind of His Spirit to fill that sail. And it moves through the water. The opposite is also true. If we're not doing anything, if we're not involved in ministry, if we're not teaching, if we're not witnessing, the wind of God's reviving Spirit moves through a community, but you don't move and this church doesn't move because you didn't have the sail up. So we need to pay attention to both. We need to struggle, we need to contend, we need to agonize, but we need to do it knowing it's with his energy, filling our sails, enabling us to move forward as we should. You know, there's a, a, a bunch of folklore folklore surrounding the great concert pianist and um, prime minister of Poland, Ignaz Paderewski. And there's one particular story of a mother who wanted to I- expose her little boy who was learning piano, and she wanted to expose him to the great master and have him understand where he could possibly go with all this practice that he did. And so she got two tickets for a concert performance by Paderewski and they got to the front row and they sat down and there's this great Steinway on the stage waiting to be played. She got involved talking with one of her friends and she looked around as the house lights were going down and the stage lights were coming up and she, she didn't find her little boy next to her and then she gasped because he had found his way to the Steinway and he was plinking away, twinkle, twinkle, little star with this whole crowd in front of him. And then Paderewski comes on stage and he comes up to the boy from behind and he leans over to him and he says, don't stop, keep playing. And as this little boy is plinking out this little tune, Paderewski reaches over with his left hand and puts in some bass notes. And he reaches over with his right hand, and he starts filling in certain things. And the, and the whole audience there was blessed with this spontaneous, impromptu song from this little boy and Paderewski together. Now, I want you to think about this, leaders. I want you to think about this, teachers. All the work we do in this church, no matter how well-trained you are, no matter how far you've gone with your schooling, no matter how many commentaries you've read before you prepared your lesson, everything we do is just a little boy on a stage plinking away at twinkle, twinkle little star. But Jesus comes in all his power and surrounds us with his arms to the right and to the left and makes something beautiful out of all that we try to do as leaders. And we need to believe that and we need to hold on to that. This is what kept Paul going and this is what keeps you going as well. So we wrap it all up in verses 28 and 29. He says, he is the one we proclaim, that's our task, so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ, that's the target. To this end I strenuously contend, that's why we have to develop toughness, with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. That's the divine touch that we depend on. As we get ready to go to the Lord in prayer, there's two groups of people that need to respond to this message today. The first group is the group I've been speaking to for most of this time, and that is people in positions of influence, positions of responsibility in this church. Would you ask God to fill the sail that you're lifting up, to fill it with the wind of his spirit so that things would happen, fruitfulness would come from all that you do? But then there's another group of people who need to respond to this message today. And that is those who need to be influenced by people who are trying to influence you. There are teachers in this church who teach and they teach you. There are musicians in this church who lead you in songs about Jesus. There are people who call you when you're absent and say that they missed you. They're influencing you or trying to. But nothing happens unless you respond to their efforts at influence. And maybe you need to respond today by saying, Jesus, come into my life and be my Lord and Savior. And so let's go to the Lord in prayer and each of us in those two groups, let's make some commitments. This concludes our podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. Join us next time as Dr. Goodman shares a message titled, Keep On Keeping On. I'm your host, John Parker, and this has been Hillcrest to Go. For more information, please contact us at hillcrest.church.